You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Our text today comes from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Those who say, I love God, and yet hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. All right, there's the text. Again, 1 John 4. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it, it makes us ask ourselves, at least it makes, it makes me ask myself, what, what do I mean when I speak of God? <laughs> what does it mean to have faith in God? Again, what do we mean when we speak of God? What does it mean to have faith in God? These are the questions I want to address today. I want to offer you my point of view, and then, of course, I'd love to hear from you at the end, per usual. Emmanuel Levinas, a famous Jewish philosopher of the 20th century, defined atheism and theism not as being about whether or not one believed in a supreme being on high somewhere, but he defined atheism and theism as about the way that one lives in relationship to their neighbor. An atheist, in Levinist's point of view, is one who is closed off to the other. Um, one who does not care for those outside their tribe or their community, meaning their religious circles or their social circles or their ethnicity, their nation, whatever. Theism, therefore, for him, belief in God for him, was about one who is, who is open to the other, caring for the other. And I like that, I, that definition. And we get the same kind of insight in our text today. We get the same kind of insight and point of view from the earliest Christian thinkers, like the author of 1 John, who again says, those who say, I love God, and yet hate, mistreats, their brother or sister, is a liar. You cannot love God whom you have not seen if you don't love those around you who you can see. Christian scripture says that only those who love others love God, which is just another way, I think, of saying only those who love others believe in God. To believe in God is to love God, and you can't love God, according to 1 John, without loving others. You see how that works? It's very interesting. 
So loving others, you might say, is the Christian way of loving God. Loving others is the Christian way of believing in God. Loving others, you might even say, is the Christian way of seeing God. As the text says, you cannot love God whom you have not seen if you don't love those around you who you can see. God is invisible, but those around you are obviously visible. And if you can't love them, you don't actually love God. In this way, since God is invisible, we make God visible by loving and caring for each other and practicing mercy and compassion and justice. This is how God is made visible in the world according to the Christian tradition, according to the Christian scriptures. We make God real. God's existence, God's visibility in the world only happens, only happens if we make him real, her real, in our love of our neighbor. That's, this isn't some newfangled progressive Christian idea. This is ancient scripture. This is First John. Jesus says something similar in Matthew chapter 25, where he says, I, me, speaking of himself, I was the hungry person you fed. I was the thirsty person that you gave water to. I was the stranger that you welcomed. I was the, the one who was sick that you took care of. I was the one in prison that, that you visited. That was me. When you did it to one of the least of these, he says, when you took care of one of the least of these, the poor, you, you were taking care of me, God. That was me. But it's pretty powerful. Here we see how there is no distinction between God and our neighbor in need. God and us. There's no distinction between God and love. God is love, according to the text. This is, of course, a very different understanding of God and faith than the one most of us were raised with, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I was raised being told that faith is about what, what one believed in their head about, you know, God, Jesus, and the Bible. Metaphysical, supernatural propositions about God, Jesus, and the Bible. In other words, you know, faith was defined about what I believed about supernatural things like the virgin birth, the resurrection, the second coming, the atoning power of Jesus' blood on the cross, and all of these religious and metaphysical and supernatural ideas. I was taught that faith is what I, the certainty I felt in my head about these propositions, these metaphysical, religious, supernatural claims. That was faith. And if I emoted enough certainty, if I felt enough certainty in those things, I was saved. I was heaven-bound. I was a Christian. Only if I emoted certainty, I was capable. Only if I was able to take those ideas in my head and, and feel a certain amount of certainty about it. I, was I a person of faith? Was I exercising faith? Th this is a completely, I think, alien idea to our text today and early Christian thought, especially even Jesus and what we see in Matthew 25 and how, how John and Jesus and others defined faith in the early church. Christian faith it seems to me in my reading of the text, was originally about faithfulness to a Christ-like way of living in the world. Faith was faithfulness 
to a Christ-like way of living in relationship to others. This was Christian discipleship originally. What it meant to be a follower of Jesus meant to live like him in the world, to, to live like him in the way that he lived with others. Faith was faithfulness to that way of life rather than a set of propositional, emotive, truth, belief claims about supernatural and metaphysical ideas you know, about God and Scripture and things like that. I'm reminded of a passage in James, the book of James, or the epistle of James, where he says, faith without works is dead. I'm sure you've heard that line before. He was responding, James was responding in his letter to those in the early church who thought that faith was primarily about believing things in your head about God. Um, you know, it was about having the right theology. It's interesting how this problem in the church existed even way back then. And this was a kind of Gnostic idea. Gnostics, not Gnosticism was a school of thought in the first and second century that taught, among other things, that having secret special knowledge, having special spiritual knowledge in your head, knowing and believing the correct things about God and ultimate reality, is what elevated us to divine or eternal status. This was, was Gnosticism. It was all about having secret special knowledge, believing the right things, thinking the right things about God and ultimate reality. And to this, James replies in, in chapter 2 of his epistle, even the, demons in, even the demons believe in God, and it doesn't do them any good. I love that line. I mean, if you believe in demons. But my point is, like, is it's a powerful point. It's like, well, the demons believe in God. Who cares what you think in your head about God? The demons believe in God. Does it do them any good? Faith without works is dead, he was saying. He was really saying there is no distinction, really, between your faith and your works. He was saying that faith lives in our actions, not in our heads. That's a great way to put it, that Peter Rollins, I think, said originally. Faith lives in our actions, not in our heads, because we're so good at fooling ourselves into thinking we believe in things that we don't as human beings. We're so good at fooling ourselves into thinking we believe in things that we don't. If you want to know what you really believe, if, if you want to know what, really what someone else believes or values, look at how they live. That'll tell you everything you need to know. Now, look at their fruit, Jesus would say. A good tree bears good fruit. You want to know the nature of a tree? You want to know what somebody's really all about? Look at what they do. Don't look at what, what they tell you they think or desire or believe or value. Look at what they do. Look at their fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. Bad tree doesn't. Simple as that. I'm reminded of a, of a joke that illustrates this point that faith lives in our actions, not in our heads. Um, I've told this joke before, but it, it bears repeating. Some of you probably haven't heard it. I think I'm stealing it from Slavoj Žižek, a Slovenian philosopher. Anyway, the joke goes like this. Uh, there once was a famous physicist who invited his friend over for lunch, another physicist from the university that he worked at, a colleague, a friend. And when his friend arrived at his house for lunch, he went up to the door to knock, and he noticed hanging above the door was a, was a horseshoe. And if, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but people used to hang horseshoes above their doors for good luck or to ward off evil spirits, that kind of thing. And so when his friend answered the door, he says, he says to him, what's the story with the horseshoe? You're, you're a man of science like me. 
Don't tell me you believe in such superstitious nonsense. And his friend says, well, of, of course I don't believe in it. What do you take me for? But I heard it works even if you don't believe in it. <laughs> right? Here we, this is how belief works. We don't really know what we believe. We don't really know. What we, our beliefs are hidden in our actions. We, we think we believe things or don't believe in things, but these are just thoughts we hold in our head that are couched in maybe anxiety or tribalism or our culture. Our beliefs live in our actions. You want to know what you really believe? Look at, look at your actions. Um, James, John, Jesus, they all understood this. And it's why they said what they did. For all three of them, James, John, and Jesus, and probably others, and the writers of the New Testament, faith was about faithfulness to a godly, Christ-like way of living in the world, which is typified by the love of others, especially for the least of these, the poor, the powerless, the oppressed, the marginalized, the downtrodden, the afflicted, etc. Faith was faithfulness to caring for them, living as Christ, sharing in the sufferings of Christ, which means sharing in the sufferings of the broken and the afflicted. Now, this doesn't mean to me that the life of faith is devoid of beliefs about God. Of course not. It doesn't mean that it's devoid of any kind of inner experience of the mystical or the transcendent. It doesn't mean it's devoid of an emotional or spiritual experience. No, absolutely not. I, I think these things are intimately connected, our spiritual and mystical experience of the divine. That's absolutely still part of the life of faith, I think. But it's tied to our embrace of love, the love of life, the love of others, love. Augustine, St. Augustine, the great fourth century church father, once mused, what do I love when I love God? It's a great question. What, what, is, what is it that I'm loving when I'm loving God? He went on to say, when I love God, I do indeed love a light and a sound and a, and a perfume and a, and a food and an embrace. There my soul is flooded with a radiance which no space can contain. There is a music and a sound which time never bears away. There I smell a, a perfume which no wind disperses. There I taste a food that nothing embitters. There is an embrace which nothing severs. It is this that I love when I love God. He's talking about an experience, an inner experience of the divine, of the mystical, of the spiritual. I think he's saying that loving God is loving life and being itself. The greatest things about life and being. To love God is to love that which gives life its luster. It's loving the, the simple pleasures of life. I think for Augustine, the name, the name of God wasn't so much, perhaps it was a little bit, but it wasn't so much the name of a literal being somewhere up there, but rather the, the name of God is the name that we give to the depth dimension of life. The name of God is the name we give for life's ineffable and transcendent qualities. Ineffable simply means you, you can't, 
put words to it. It's like looking at a work of art that moves you emotionally. There's no words. That you can only experience it. Life has the moments that are ineffable and that transcend words. This is God or the experience of the divine, I think Augustine was saying. The name of God is the name of a great mystery. Barry Taylor, theologian, philosopher, and friend of a few of us here, he's spoken here before. He puts it this way, and I, I like this. And actually, Pete Holmes, in his recent um, comedy show on Netflix, mentioned this. If you like comedy, watch the new Pete Holmes um, comedy show on Netflix. It's really good. Anyway, Barry Taylor said this, God is the name of the blanket we throw over the mystery to give it shape. I love that. God is the name of the blanket that we throw over the mystery of life and being to give it shape. And I think it's, that's similar to John saying in our text today, God is love. Love is a kind of blanket term here. It's a term we ascribe to God. And it's a good term, a true term. But it's a term we ascribe to God to give the mystery of God shape. To say that God is love, I think, is a way of saying that God is the depth dimension of life and being. God is the name that we give to life's ineffable and most transcendent qualities like love itself. To say God is love and that those who abide in love abide in God, as 1 John does, is to say that God is more than just a being. But, as Tillich might say, the being of beings, the essence of being. God is that which gives life and being and existence its beauty, its meaning, its depth. God and love can be thought of, I mean, there's certainly human terms. These are words in English, God and love. I'm speaking in English. These are our terms, human terms, that we use like a blanket to throw over the mystery to give it shape. Another way of answering the question, what do we mean when we speak of God, is that the name of God is, is a way of speaking hyperbolically. It's a way of speaking hyperbolically about life. And this is true, I think, about a lot of religious language. A lot of religious language, and to invoke religious language, to invoke the name of God, is a way of putting an exclamation point on that which really matters in life, like love. It's a way of shouting yes to life and yes to love and justice and peace. Likewise, to invoke the name of God is a way of shouting no to injustice and oppression and suffering and cruelty. The name of God is an exclamation point to what really matters in life. It's a way of speaking hyperbolically about life and being and, and what really matters. In the words of Catherine Sarah Moody, to invoke the name of God is to magnify our expressions of outrage and injustice and oppression and to amplify our acts of solidarity with those who suffer and demand justice. Or as John Caputo puts it, God is for lovers. I love that. You've heard that Virginia is for lovers? Well, God is for lovers, too. For men and women of passion, he says, for people who for people with a passion for life, who believe in something, who hope like mad in something, who, who love something with a love that surpasses understanding. That's what we mean when we speak of God, I think. At least that's what I hope we mean. 
This doesn't mean that unless you believe in God on high, you can't love or experience love. That's that's nonsense. Rather, I think it means that there's a kind of religious experience. There's, there's a, a religious-like experience to life if we really love others and life itself and its depths and really give ourselves over to love, the love of life, the love of others. There's a kind of spiritual or religious, religious experience to be had in that. When we really invest ourselves into life and love, life takes on a transcendent quality. So this is what I think it means when we speak of God, when I speak of God. And this is what I think it means to have faith in God. And with that in mind, let's move into our time of Holy Sacrament, Communion, the Lord's Supper. I want to invite you today to meditate on this question. What does it mean for you? What does it mean to partake in this partake in God's body and blood? What does it mean for you to believe in God or to invoke the name of God, to partake in religious traditions like this? Think about it, and then I'd love to hear from you uh, after this. The way we do communion here, for those of you who are new, um, this is gluten-free and alcohol-free. You just take one of the crackers, you dip it in the cup, you receive it, and then you serve the person next to you. This is part of what it means for us to embody being the body of Christ for each other here at Central. Be blessed now in this. Each episode of the Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion. So, um, anybody here uh, have any questions about anything today? Or I'd love to hear maybe how you answer these questions. You know, what does it mean for you to speak of God? What do you mean when you speak of God? What does it mean for you to have faith? How has that changed for you over the years in your journey, your deconstruction and reconstruction, perhaps? But yeah, any, anybody have um, anything to share about that? Yeah, Akila. Hello. Um, yeah, I think it's a good question. I was thinking about it as you were talking because you asked us at the beginning. Um, and one of the things that um, for me, so I guess it's a couple of things. Number that, well, what you were talking about. So one, um, it made me remember like the scripture where Jesus said, you know, somebody asked him what's the most important commandment or, you know, and he's like, love God, but then love your neighbor. Right. Like those, that's really all it boils down to. And I think for me, what I've come to, because I did have to really think through this, I had a um, period where I was deconstruction, reconstruction. And for me, it was, um, for me, God is everything good in the world. And I think that, um, and I think that kind of encapsulates it. I, I think it's just that if I can look to the goodness, then that's where I see God. Um, but I like that 
you were talking about love too, because that's also a nebulous term. Like everybody defines it differently, right? Like what is love? I don't know. I love ice cream. I love my parents, right? Like, you know, um, but yeah, I think it ultimately came down to, that's what it came down to for me. What is the goodness? And so even when there are terrible things happening, um, you know, like Mr. Rogers was like, look for the helpers, right? But when there are terrible things happening, I can see the goodness in other people and the goodness in the world and the good. That's where I see God. Like it's it's not that God controls all of these things that happen. I, I don't know that I believe that in the same way that it, I was taught to believe it, but more that it's like, you know, what is the belief? I'll also say um, I had um, at my former church, the minister did a, one of the ministers did a sermon right after the election, um, the election, and it's talking about, <laughs> you know, the one, um, but and one of the things he talked about too is like, who is your neighbor? Like your neighbor will be there. It like the political belief thing may or may not, that might, we can look at that as a divide, but he's like, but if my car breaks and my kids are sick, my neighbor will help me. And if I think about the political affiliation, I don't see a neighbor anymore. So it was just like an interesting way to think about things. And I'm not saying I completely agree with all of that, but just like, thinking about like, where's, where do we, I see goodness? Where do I see somebody taking care of somebody else? Like those things. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Akila. That was really good. Um, somebody else have a reflection about any of this. Yes. Marsha. What came to mind was I was, I don't recall why I was so devastated, but I was at a supermarket and someone just did a simple kindness and I started to cry. And I think that to me is, is what God is all about, is spontaneously helping someone, sensing they need, often maybe it's a kind word, a smile, a simple encouragement, and I've always tried to pass that forward because people can look one way but are hurting inside. And if you can perceive they are hurting, to do some kindness, however simple, however. Our heart has always guided me what they need. Yeah, thanks. I think that's beautiful. Somebody else today? Yeah, Dorian. Um, along with the neighbor thing, I I, I watched this comedian stand up uh, who's Muslim, right? Uh, his name's Mo Amer. And uh, he talks about uh, how he has a neighbor who, you know, he doesn't believe that that neighbor is, you know, believes in his. Uh, you know, he, he he's probably certain that he has strong disagreements about Mo Amer being Muslim, right? Uh, but he says that if it ever came down, or that they had a situation where the hurricanes, like, you know, um, took out all the electricity and all that stuff, and then his neighbor, like, had his ginny, and he's like, come on, Mo, like, come on over, like, I got you, and all this stuff like that. And so, uh, and so, yeah, and it, it makes me think of my mom, my mom, who's somebody who I'm very socially, politically, like, different from right 
And my mom, I think, you know, uh, you know, she, like you said, faith is a lot of times we make it this mental, uh, you know, what we, what we think we believe mentally. And, you know, I think she's convinced herself of a lot of things mentally, but I know that, and she has demonstrated in the past that if it comes down to it, she's going to be the one to lend a helping hand or be there for somebody, right? Even if she doesn't agree with that person on a political level, she will, you know, lend, you know, lend out, you know, stretch out her hand. Um, and yeah, and it may, and that also makes me think of, you know, Jesus and, you know, and especially in fundamentalism, how they preach uh, uh, unconditional love, right? And yeah, and I think Jesus was a prime example of unconditional love in a way where, you know, where, you know, in scripture, he talks, you know, he spoke with the prostitute and blessed her and, her, you know, and blesses people who come from different, you know, regions that, you know, that they're not supposed to be associating with and all this stuff, right? And that is the most form of unconditional love that I can think of, right? It's just, and, and yeah, and I think that's what love and even though I don't necessarily believe in, it's not that I don't believe in it, but I kind of do, you know, and this idea of God, uh, I uh, I believe that unconditional love is is one of the most, you know, one of the most beautiful exchanges that we can make as people, you know, whether it's a neighbor or whether it's just someone who we know nothing about or just, you know, even within our own family, families or family members who we struggle to have a relationship with, right? Um, so yeah. Yeah, thanks, man. That's good. Anybody else today? Yeah. Caleb, welcome. Wow. I don't know if I can be articulate because I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I'm from Louisiana. I'm visiting. Uh, I discovered this church a couple months ago. I'm reading Derrida and I saw Caputo and I saw him speak at a church. What church is this he's speaking at? And so I was um very very excited that a church like this can exist because i felt like personally i lost my faith uh but i i didn't feel like the evangelicals loved the man jesus more than i did and but i couldn't you know it, i'm sure you guys all went through this and made this church but i'm really excited this church exists uh, and uh my uh, anyway, it, it's really it, it's so many things. It's, it's amazing that you guys are here and uh, the worship song in the beginning. That was wow. That's <laughs> how did you come up with that? That's amazing. That's that's what I I was thinking too. And um, uh, for me, God is um, like a blanket statement. Like like everyone's saying, it's something that I cannot describe. And I think that we think we are individuals, but we are multitudes. We have billions of cells and 10 times that in bacteria and viruses. And if you do split brain um, uh, experiments, you think you are actually communicating with the others, but it's only a one part of you that is communicating when the other part of you is not aware. Uh, and it's a lot of the psychologists call this your frontal cortex a, a secretary. It's like you are press secretary to connect to the other person while the other parts of you don't fully understand why. And so I think God is, when my child was born, I think I think of him as a whole universe being born. It's not 
one thing there. It's, it, you know, there's thousands of things and stuff working at the same time. And so I think it's a, it's something I don't understand, but there's something one, definitely not like a, like a, a human person. It's not like somebody I, you know, talk to like my dad or something like that, but it's, 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 it's beyond all of the system I we don't understand. And I think, wow, it's, it's, it's beyond what we c comprehend and it's beyond what I can understand. And when I see him, when, when they're angry, that is only a part of them, the impulses and whatever it is, it's not the whole person that is doing it. It's sometimes they might not even understand, you know? And so I think it's a, it's like Augustine, it's a mystery beyond what we can put our fingers to is, is what I think. And I really, it's an amazing place here. It's, you know, I came a long way to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Caleb. I appreciate um, those kind words as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I I hear you talking about that, and I'm thinking the word connection comes to mind, you know, having that sense of connection to others and, and sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves and that mystery. It's a big part of what I think it means to cultivate a sense of spiritual vitality where we're at right now and our post-evangelical deconstructed state you know for me for me personally it's about having that sense of connection to that transcendent ineffable mysterious part of life and to each other and how can we cultivate that more and experience that sense of connection more which is love i mean it's that's love now that's really good um thank you for that thanks for being here i know that you live in louisiana but you can always join us via Zoom. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Anybody else this morning? Okay. Well, let us conclude our final service of 2023 as we conclude every service by saying this, this joint benediction together, a way of centering ourselves together. Let's say this now. As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Amen. Thank you for journeying here with us this last year. God bless you. Happy 2024, and uh, see you next year. Go in peace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.